I've listened to Pieces of the Sky by Amy Lou Harris for years. And I listened to it once yesterday. Welcome to Spin It. Yeah, I just hit the button. Were you really recording? Beginning? Yeah. Were you? I didn't think we'd be that in sync. Yeah. I am. Yeah. All right. Let's go. Hello, everyone. Again, welcome back to Spin It, the record ranking podcast for people who would rather be listening to music. I'm James. That's Connor. And we're back with another album this week. What a wild start. What can you expect when you're doing Emmy Lou Harris? You're about to find out. It'll be a chaotic episode. I suppose so. How familiar are you with Emmy Lou Harris? You're a country music guy, but you're a newer country music guy. Am I? What gave you that impression? Well, not new, new, but like 20. No, no, no. I grew up with the old stuff. Why do you think I know so much of the old stuff? Just because. Yeah, I grew up listening to George Jones, Johnny Cash, Reba. It's not that old, but... Older now. Older now. Yeah, I, I grew up with that stuff, so... So, Amy Lou Harris, what, is in there, in the mix? I know her, like, popular songs that would be on the classic country rate, like stations. Mm-hmm. I found Amy Lou Harris. I took a college class on country music, mm. and we talked about her for the first time. And we talked about, well, when you talk about Emmylou Harris, as we'll get into in a minute, you have to talk about Graham Parsons. My professor told us some unbelievable stories about Graham Parsons mm-hmm. that we'll, we'll get into. But that inspired me. We listened to Boulder to Birmingham, some of her other stuff, and I was hooked. It's like, this is pretty good. Nice. Yeah. And I've seen her live. She opened for Garth Brooks twice that I went to try and see him. The first time, there was a thunderstorm, and the rest of the show got canceled. So it was pretty much just Lou Harris and Chris Young opening for Garth Brooks, who never came. Oh. But the second time, we finished the whole show, and it was great. Nice. Yeah. And actually, I saw her another time in 2016, I guess before I was even really familiar with her music, now that I'm thinking about it and looking at my poster from that concert on my wall. (laughs) I thought she was on there. So that's the first time I saw her. There you go. But anyway, let's talk about the first time anyone saw her. When she was born. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. She was born in 1947. She was born into a military family. Her father was a Marine who served in Korea, and he actually spent almost an entire year as a prisoner of war in 1952, which is a really interesting fact. Yeah, it really was. It was very interesting to a certain someone on this podcast, a certain someone who loves to bring up interesting facts. They found this one very interesting. I'm glad. Are you picking up my subtext? Yeah, I'm I'm picking up your subtext. (laughs) All right, because it wasn't that sub. It was mainly just text. It was just text. (laughs) You just texted it to me. Emmy Lou was born in Birmingham, Alabama, but she grew up in Virginia and North Carolina. Kind of got around the country a little bit. She was her class valedictorian in high school, and she earned a drama scholarship to UNC's music and theater school. Being in a music school really inspired her to learn to play guitar, to study all kinds of her favorite music. She loved songwriters and artists like Bob Dylan, Joan Baez, really leaned heavy into the folk side of things. And I think that influence is very apparent in her country style like the style of music she makes is pretty heavily folk leaning so it's different than most i don't know 1975 country music you know she's not out here putting out george Strait country standards or anything like that this is its own little folk 
oriented niche of the country subgenre. And she loved it. She started getting into music, loved all their music so much that as a valedictorian, remember, she dropped out of college and she moved to New York City where she performed in coffee shops and tried to get in on the big folk music scene in the area. In that time, she got married, she had a daughter, she got divorced, and she put together her first album called Gliding Bird that came out in 1969, six years before Pieces of the Sky would come out. So she's making big life moves and I mean really going all in to pursue music, which is admirable and not an easy decision, I don't think. Kind of a crapshoot. So crazy. Yeah, right? I know. In 1971, Emmylou Harris gets connected with the Flying Burrito Brothers. Is that a band (laughs) that you've heard of? I don't think so. Great name. It is a great name. Let's wait. Let's dissect it for a minute. Do you think the burritos are flying or are the brothers, are the brothers burritos that fly? Yeah, no, that's absolutely what it is. It's two burritos that are brothers and they fly around. Bro-ritos. Oh. Anyway, the Flying Burritos is a band founded by some former members of the Birds, a band that you rock and roll fans might know, including and especially Chris Hillman and Graham Parsons. There was a little controversy over whether Parsons was even ever a full member of the Birds. I did a little digging into this, and and he's kind of been treated more like a contracted employee by the band instead of a full-fledged member. So there's some tension there. But he's looking to branch out and make a solo album, and he wants a female vocalist to contribute to his project. So he finds Emmylou Harris, and he realizes right away she's the perfect fit. She joins his band. She records with Graham Parsons for his first two records and starts touring with him. But in 1973, before Graham Parsons' second album could officially be released, he passed away unexpectedly from an overdose. And this really really affected Emmylou Harris personally, as we'll talk about once we get into the songs. She was very close with Graham Parsons, and he had such a big impact on her music and her life, and so that was a really tough loss to deal with. And just a a little side note into the death of Graham Parsons. I'm sure we'll do an episode on it sometime with him and the birds and his solo stuff and all, but the story of what happened after Graham Parsons' death, like I kind of mentioned before, is one of the most absolutely unbelievable tales I've ever heard about a musician, and probably just in general. Wild. It involves a stolen hearse and a pump gas cremation in the middle of the desert. It's unreal. Maybe the mixtaper will bring that story. Maybe he will. He probably shouldn't by the sounds of it, but... No, but Emmylou Harris's backup singing on those Graham Parsons songs was so outstanding and phenomenal. Her work got noticed by Warner, and that brings us to her debut solo album, Pieces of the Sky. In 1975, this is her major label debut and her second record overall after Gliding Bird six years earlier. And it's different, like I said, than a lot of country at the time. She's big into folk music. Graham Parsons had been working on this special blend of what he called cosmic american music that was like half blues half rock and roll kind of folk kind of novel just really a new direction and she really embedded herself in that picked up on it and kind of tried to project her version of that out into the world with this record people have actually said that the album itself is a nice reflection of just how diverse her own taste in music was right there's a little bit of everything well a little bit of a lot of things mixed together in here and what's cool is she actually worked with a lot of the same 
same musicians that Graham Parsons had used on his second record, right? The people that she got to work with during those sessions came back to help her with this. And Pieces of the Sky is kind of a spiritual successor to Graham Parsons' body of work, which got obviously cut pretty short. The album was a big hit, peaked at number seven on the Billboard Country Albums chart, and singles like If I Could Only Win Your Love and Too Far Gone also performed pretty well and were her first real big hits as an artist. Her record label agreed to keep her contract and keep her on if she got a hot band, quote-unquote, to back her up. So she started playing with the hot band, which feels like a loophole, but is really funny. The band was made up of James Burton and Glenn Harden, former musicians that worked both with Graham Parsons and Elvis Presley, who we talked about in the early 80s of episodes. Yeah. Go check that episode out if you want to. I mean, don't feel pressured or anything, but I feel a little pressure, a moderate amount of pressure. Don't feel much pressure. Yeah. Like, uh, what's something that's under a moderate amount of pressure? Like, like a bike tire that's just <laughs> rolled over a nail. I think that's actively losing its pressure. Well, yeah, that's how mu- we don't want you to feel pressured at all. And me, that metaphor should put you even further at ease. To be fair, your answer was better than mine. Do tell. Mine was a hamster late for school. That was my answer. What? He's under a lot of pressure. Well, why would that get to school? He's like the class pet. But that's not like a medium amount of... Stayed out tonight drinking with his hamster buddies and or slept. He's drinking with his hamster buddies? Oh, no. He's a Guinness pig. <laughs> that's so stupid. I hate that you did that. Why are you so good at that? Don't come, at, don't come at us in the comments going, guinea pigs and hamsters are technically very different. I know. <laughs> the joke doesn't work. You can't be a Guinness hamster. What a ridiculous tangent we just went on. <laughs> Anyway, Emmy Lou's career went on in pretty grand fashion. She would go on to work with everyone from Bob Dylan to Linda Ronstadt to Neil Young, and she even appeared in the absolutely legendary Last Waltz performance alongside the band, which I don't know if we've talked about yet, but when we do our episode on the band, and believe me, it's coming, we'll have to get into the Last Waltz. Sounds exciting. I'm very excited about that. Emmylou would go on to release a total of 26 studio albums so far, which is a really prolific body of work. Her most recent record was in 2015, and she still puts on a show. To this day, she's still out playing. I almost had a chance to see her at a really cool venue. I didn't, but I thought about it. A handful of her songs, a good solid handful, have also been featured in soundtracks and movies, including those for Brokeback Mountain, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, the TV show Yellowstone, and more. Oh, interesting. I've watched season one of that show. I watched the first 15 or 20 minutes of that show. Really? Yeah. And... As plenty of other artists have done, Emmy Lou Harris has won her fair share of awards. She's been nominated for 48 Grammys, beginning with this very album, and she's won 14 of them. Her most recent was a Lifetime Achievement Award win in 2018. She's won three CMA awards on 24 nominations, including 1980's Female Vocalist of the Year. She's got two ACM awards, four Americana Music Association awards. She's got an honorary doctorate from the Berklee College of Music, and she's repeatedly been named among one of the biggest influences in music. VH1 ranked her number 22 out of the 100 most influential women of rock and roll. CMT named her the number five greatest woman in country music, and the list goes on and on. You can find a lot of that stuff if you want to dig a little bit. In 1992, Emmy Lou Harris became a member of the Grand Ole Opry. In 2008, she entered the Country Music Hall of Fame. Nice. And in 2019, she made it onto the Hollywood Walk of Fame. And one last little quote that I found that I love about her that is attributed to someone we've already done an episode 
episode on, Willie Nelson, the redheaded stranger, he said, There are two kinds of men in this world. Those who love Emmy Lou Harris and those who haven't met her. It's pretty good. I know. What a what a legacy. So that's her. That's Pieces of the Sky. That's a little background. And now it's time to get the mixtaper out here and see whether he's telling me the truth about other interesting things or telling me a lie about other interesting things. Only one way to find out. Let's get him out here. That seems to be the only way. I've yet to find another. Hey, it's me, the mixtaper. Hello, mixtaper. How are you? Happy factor spin time. Happy factor spin time, indeed. It's everybody's favorite time. Well, yeah, probably. And either, that's either a factor or a spin. Your first one, go. Oh. <laughs> no. Well, I, <laughs> the safe bet with you would be to call that a fact. Too bad it was a spin. All right, I'm up one nothing. Let's <laughs> oh, go. No, no, no. no. <laughs> My real first one for you. She was given an interesting birthing present. Did you say birthing present? Yeah, I didn't really know what to call it, so I called it a birthing present. <laughs> well, I feel like most people call it a like a birthday present, but well, the fact that you need to be so specific with it makes me think it's like when she was actually born. Yeah. Like it was the first time anybody saw her in, in 1947. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. What does she receive? A diamond pig necklace. Pig? Yeah. Diamond, like diamond necklace, like, oh, cute, like an heirloom kind of thing. Sure. But a pig? Mm-hmm. Why? Why? Because she was born in the year of the pig. Oh. And her birthstone was diamond. Like a Chinese calendar kind of thing. Yeah. You're lucky I'm not very familiar with the years, so I can't fact check that. Mm, I'm lucky. So it's very symbolic. It's not like her parents especially loved pigs or anything, right? Just, Mm -mm. okay. And obviously she's a newborn. Mm -hmm. The coolest newborn in the nursery. She's got bling. (laughs) So does she obviously keep the necklace until she's older? Does she ever wear it? Does she still have it? That's three questions. No, yeah, it was a lot of questions. It was. And the main one I'm going to answer is no, she sold it when she was an adult. Actually, after she got divorced. Oh. In order to help pay for raising the child. Well, that's a noble cause. How much did it sell for? No clue. Okay. Child raising cost. Should have made you pay this, that dollar amount. And then when you guessed the dollar amount, it's like, who knows? <laughs> I think this one's true. I think this one's true. Yeah, that is an interesting birthing present. <laughs> Sure is. It's just kind of like a zero with birthday present, really. It's still a birthday. Yeah. Yeah, it's the birthday. (laughs) You're right. The rest of them are just fake. (laughs) This is the original. And I'm calling this a fact. Give me that pig necklace. I'm giving you a spin. This is a spin. Oh, Boy, that's really disappointing. You can buy a pig necklace if you'd like from Ross Simmons for it's a 0.15 carat uh, diamond farm pig pendant. Uh, it has diamonds all around it and pink diamonds on like for the ears and tail and snout. Huh. Yeah, it's an 18 carat rose gold nose, ear, and tail. So it's got rose gold in it as well. And it's $1,150 if you're interested. Not necessarily, but like, can I, if I buy that pig pendant and I give it to Emmy Lou Harris on her birthday? No, not on her birthday. On her birthing day. I've got you there. I did miss the boat on that one. Oh, so it was smart that you changed it. Now I can't recoup that point. Yeah. See, I knew what I was doing. Darn. I'm 76 years too late. On to our second one. Okay, yeah, fact number two. Let's recover. Yeah, we'll see how you do on this one. She founded a dog shelter. She founded it, huh? Yeah. Where was it hiding? That was that one didn't land. That was a bad one. <laughs> I was chuckling. Okay, jokes. That's nice. What's the name of the dog shelter? Bonaparte's Retreat. 
like Napoleon, like the French. No, like her dog. Like her dog is named after Napoleon. Though that is a really funny Bonaparte's retreat. Napoleon retreating. Oh gosh, baby. Whoa, <laughs> dude. There's so many layers to this name. But Bonaparte, like Napoleon, named after her dog who died two years earlier. Oh, when did she found the shelter? 2004. Okay, where did she found this shelter? Nashville, Tennessee. Nice. I got the answers to all your questions this time. Let's go. I know. I assume if I looked it up right now, I'd at least find a Bonaparte retreat shelter in Nashville. <laughs> like, I feel like you've at least told the truth about that. Okay. What's her level of involvement? Does she just, like, fund it? Does she just establish it? Does she do work there? Or, like, how, what's the level that she's, like, entwined with this? Founded it and helps put on charity and adoption events. And how many dogs do they take care of? Yeah. So it's a no-kill shelter. And so they take in dogs from other shelters that are, like, on the put-down list. I feel like a kill shelter should be called something else. Yeah. You're not sheltering anything. That's <laughs> Yeah, fair. Bonaparte's attack. <laughs> hmm, this is tough. So you said it was after her dog. Yep. Tell me more about Bonaparte the dog. Well, Bonaparte was a dog owned by Emily Harris. That's the same amount that you've told me. Died in 2002. <laughs> Has a dog shelter named after it. Yeah, okay. So that's about as far as we're going to get there, I think. Does she love dogs particularly? I mean, is that like a thing for her? Yeah, loves animals in general. Okay. Okay, okay, okay. I'm going to call this one a spin. A spin. I think this is a spin. I think that animal shelter really exists. And I don't think she had a, anything to do with it at all. Mm. I hope. Unfortunate. <laughs> because this is a true fan. Well, that was really unfortunate. Darn. <laughs> All right, that takes the, you know, now I'm only under a small amount of pressure because I'm at least getting a 50-50 this week. <laughs> I'm a gerbil on summer break. No pressure at all. <laughs> the hamster, it just doesn't make any sense. Like, why? Would... I know. <laughs> okay, well, let's roll into fact number three. She had an interesting wedding night. Interesting how? I bet a lot of people would say their wedding night was interesting for one reason or another. <laughs> to explain that, let's back up to the wedding's over. Bride and groom get in a limo and drive off. Right. Yes. And they're driving down the country road after a long, a long day. Yeah, of wedding. Yeah, and their limo breaks down in the middle of the country. That's not good. That would sure make for an interesting time. Well, lucky for you, your limo driver, you know, he's got a good head on his shoulders. He says, I'll just call the limo company. Smart. They'll send out another limo and you guys can go on and we'll get a tow truck out here to take our limo back and it'll all be taken care of. Yeah, sounds great. Except they're sitting in the back drinking, drinking champagne. You know, the new limo shows up. They get in it, continued on their journey. No, 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 no. Don't don't tell me. You know, you get a few miles down the road. You're like, all right, that was weird. Glad that's behind us. And boom, uh-huh. that limo breaks down. No way. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that's where this was going. Two limos. Two limos. Really three limos because they had to get a third one to finish out their drive. Yeah, but that one lived, right? That one lived, yes. Emmy Lou Harris, destroyer of limousines. <laughs> How far were they trying to go again, did you say? What the total, like, mileage? I did not say. I don't know the answer either, which is why I did not say. Okay. Well, like, if this limo's, like, going across town, wow. But if this limo's, like, trying to go 300 miles. I don't know. If they're driving all the way from Boulder to Birmingham, <laughs> might want to make alternate plans. Yeah, I really don't know. Tonight, the limo let me down. <laughs> anyway, so do they get where they're going by the end of the night? Like, how? what's the time delay from these unexpected mechanical failures? Don't know. Okay. Two limo. What are the odds? Which wedding is this? Uh, the first one. Okay. I think that was just an omen then. Oh, gosh. 
<laughs> yeah, you're right. That was the sign. It kind of works too because right, she was married three times, right? So you know the first two broke down. And... One for each level. <laughs> This is wild. It's wild. I don't really know what to say about this. <laughs> I think this one is so ridiculous that it may be true. But. No buts. No but. He's going with true? I'm going with true. I, to be honest, only called the other one a spin because I thought you might be trying to do an all spins week after a couple weeks ago when your all spins week turned out to be all facts. <laughs> so I that one misled me. This time, this fact is just absurd enough that I don't think you'd make it up. Hmm. You thought wrong. This is a spin. <laughs> don't think you know me. Don't think you're in the mind of the mixtaper. Clearly I'm not. How did you think of that? What was your thought process to invent that? Uh, I was looking at how many times you've been married. I said, I wonder if there's any funny wedding stories. I typed in Emily Harris wedding story. Got results. I said, well, let's make one up. I said, it'd be funny if the limo broke down. I said, but that's not really factor spin worthy. So let's make it two limos broke down. <laughs> And I did think it was one of those so ridiculous things that it's like, there's no way he would try to make that up. It was. <laughs> gotcha. That is tough. Darn. And now you're just Elton John's little fit bunny. <laughs> you got the gym to yourself. Yeah, no pressure at all. No pressure at all. You're the hamster late for school, though, because you're you're looking at a shutout week right now. No, I'm the hamster on summer break, but I'm still in the cage at school <laughs> and the kids didn't feed me before they left. Oh, no, that's dark. <laughs> I'm down to my last fact. Last little pellet. We'll see what I can do. My last one for you. She has a recipe in a cookbook. This one sounds innocuous. Sure does. This one sounds easy, and that scares me. <laughs> What's the cookbook? All the thyme in the world. Did you just... What? Okay. Okay. No, nothing. And what's the recipe? Grandma's Southern Style Deviled Eggs. I see. Deviled eggs. Great recipe. What's in the recipe? How do you make it? Uh, I don't know. I don't know in the cookbook. There's only one bit of information I know about, and that's just because I Googled what Southern Style Deviled Eggs were. Yeah? What's that? They're deviled eggs made with pickled eggs instead of just boiled eggs. Oh, that sounds different. Yeah. Uh, you can use the word you want to use. Gross. I don't think I'd ever want my deviled eggs with pickled eggs. No, I'd try it. I really would. I'd try it, but I don't think I'm going to like it. This, this makes me mad. <laughs> I knew it would. That's why I saved it for last. <laughs> it seems like it's not coming back up. I didn't want to correct you in the moment in case you said it more often, but it's time. It's not time. It's not thyme. It's time. It's not it's not thyme. All the thyme in the world. All the thyme in the world doesn't make any sense. It's all the, all the time. I had to pronounce it thyme so you understood it wasn't me just saying all the time in the world. <laughs> okay, well, touche. <laughs> but we could have just said thyme like the herb. You didn't really have to go to all this mispronunciation trouble. Fair enough. Anyway, back to the matter at hand. What annoys me about this is pickled eggs is like a legacy joke on this podcast uh-huh that's like billy joel like episode one sure is you said it was innocuous and that's what makes it not innocuous anymore just innocuous <laughs> and everything let's so so pickled eggs mm -hmm. you take your jar of pickled eggs you open it up there's really no cooking like you, a pickled egg is already squishy and boiled i assume you do like you do with normal deviled eggs and you scoop out the innards and you mix it with like mayonnaise and other stuff and then put it back in. Yeah. And you have to pickle the eggs. I mean. Oh, are you pickling from scratch? Oh, I have no idea. I assumed you were getting your jar of pickled eggs. But why Emmy Lou Harris? Does she make a particular kind of deviled egg? Is this a family recipe? Why indeed? Does she have a connection to the author of this cookbook? Yeah, it's because it's part of a cookbook benefiting Music Health Alliance. I see. Recipe Wrangler.
Taylor, Maria Ivy put this book together, getting a bunch of people in the music industry. Wrangler? Wrangler, that's what it says. That's interesting. There's 277 recipes in the book. Contributors include not only superstars such as Dolly Parton and Emmylou Harris, but also journalists and photographers, publishers and interns, a drum tech for arena tours, and a tour manager who always drives the late shift, songwriters and banjo players, festival producers and super fans, a beloved Nashville guitar shop owner, and the late show's band leader, Bowie's bass player, and a grand old Opry host. This book clearly exists. This cookbook exists as you've described it. Or I just wrote that. Maybe you did, I guess. <laughs> but I don't think so. Just saying, like, don't, don't cheapen my writing abilities. Don't be like, just write off. Like, oh, he could have never wrote something like that. No, not never. I just don't think you did. Okay, fair enough. And if the cookbook exists and Lou Harris did deviled eggs, there's no way you wouldn't use that. Mm. But if the cookbook exists and she did anything else, there's no way you wouldn't change it to deviled eggs. <laughs> Quite the dilemma you're in. Real pickle you're in. <laughs> this is an awful fact that I need to win to save a shutout. It, yeah, it's made even better by the fact that you're currently in shutout territory. <laughs> really driving up that pressure. What if I told you that I have all the time in the world on my bookshelf right now? Uh, I'd say if you want to skip through all 277 recipes real fast to see if it's in there. Well, what if I told you I'm already a fan of deviled eggs? Okay. And I've already looked into making them myself. Sounds like you'd be telling me you already knew this one, but I don't know if I believe that based on your reaction to this so far. Okay. I tried to bait you into some kind of revealing thing right there. I don't own the book. Yeah, did it work? <laughs> I don't know. It didn't give me much. I think I'm going to say this one's a fact. Only fact. Feels risky. It feels risky. I like it. The thrill of it thr- is, <laughs> is really it's really pickling my eggs right now. Yeah, are eggs pickled through thrill? <laughs> if you pickle them in adrenaline. <laughs> Listen, there's one thing everybody knows about eggs. It's that they're adrenaline junkies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, this one is a spin. And it's exactly as you oh, called it. No. She's in the cookbook, but she does not have grandma's southern style deviled eggs. <laughs> I knew it. And I'm going to take it one step farther. Not only that, but there is a recipe called Grandma Southern Style Deviled Eggs, but it does not use pickled eggs. <laughs> I Googled deviled egg recipes, found one with a catchy title, and then made the eggs pickled. <laughs> Simply because I knew if I made it the last one, you'd go, pickled eggs are a legacy on this podcast. Oh, no. So I wanted to throw pickled eggs in there. Well, that's the thing. Well, deviled pickled eggs do exist. Do they? I didn't even bother to check that. Uh-huh. They <laughs> definitely do. And according to allrecipes.com, they take 72 and a half hours to make. Well, that's right because you're pickling from scratch. Yeah. We'll have to... I know the mixtaper wants to start up some cooking on his in his free time. Is he also referring to himself in the third person again? Uh, yes, I am. Like he used to do sometimes <laughs> in the past. Yeah, I love to refer to myself in the third person. I'm really thinking about taking up some cooking. So <laughs> maybe I'll add pickled egg, <laughs> deviled eggs to the list. <laughs> I guess you have to now. Wow, congratulations on a shutout. It's been a minute since I've had one of these. It's been a long time. It's been a long time since you've shut me out. How far I've come from my double shutout that happened to me. I know, you've really rebounded well. I think the last time I got shut out by you, for all you factor spin stat nerds, you came close on the Red Hot Chili Peppers, episode 47. I've done it I've done it since then. I've done it this year, right? <laughs> no. I don't think so. 
away. I'm looking and I'm not seeing any. You have not fully shut me out since... No way. Since the Smashing Pumpkins? What? Since the first shutout on Factor Spin, episode 14? No, that can't be right. Is this the second time you've shut me out? What? That's what I'm seeing. That doesn't seem right. What? That's unbelievable. It's because Connor shuts me out all the time. It feels like there's more shutouts. Yes. <laughs> yes, that's true. There, I've, I've shut you out since then. Yeah. You know, the Shins episode was a shutout for me. Uh, Michael Buble was a shutout for Connor, and uh, several other Connor's picks were, weirdly enough, shutouts for him. I've had my second ever shutout. You got your second shutout. Congratulations. We almost went 100 episodes without one. This is like 97, right? Yeah, 97. <laughs> and it's been since 14. We were like 20 away. <laughs> I'm actually less disappointed by that. I'm happy for you. Wow. What an accomplishment. What a week. I know, right? I'm so proud of myself, too. I'm going to celebrate. I'm going to have two pumpernickel mayonnaise sandwiches. Well, you do that. Congratulations. You've earned it. It was such an interesting week. Interesting week of them. Yeah, because each of these was like right on the fence for me. Sometimes it's like, okay, if I believe this and it's false, I'm just an idiot. But this time, these were all really plausible. And the true one was really dubious. Yeah, they were all also, there was nothing outside of the double limo. That was probably the closest. That was probably the most outlandish. They were all pretty tame. There was nothing wild going on in any of these. No. And there was one true one that you just missed. Mm-hmm. Well, that was really something. Well, congratulations on your big week. What a... You mean your limos are cruising? Yeah. Mixtaper's big week. Sounds like a kid's book. The Mixtaper's big week. <laughs> Purple eggs and pumpernickel. <laughs> I'm so glad I got to bring deviled eggs back and you went for it. Well, technically, you didn't bring deviled eggs back at all. Well, sorry, pickled eggs. Mm -hmm. And I'm so glad that you learned how to pronounce time. I knew how to pronounce it. It's for you. Likely story. We'll see you next week when we have a lot more facts and spins that might just be as close to 50-50 as could be. Maybe we'll have to flip a coin and see how I feel. Yeah. Welcome back, Connor. How are you? Seems like it was more interesting spins than interesting facts this week. Yeah, he was spinning off the rails. So what'd you think about the album art? Album art's fine. You know, it's another album cover. There's just not much to it. Yeah. The font is cool. Love that. Emily Harris Pieces of the Sky. It's her. Yeah. There's a little angel in the middle on the top on a cloud. The end. I mean, that's it. <laughs> it's fine. I like that shade of what? Is it like a, a an orange or a brown? I really like that color. It fits the album well, I think. But that's probably a thing that I think just because it already is on the cover of the album. And if this album were colored differently, I probably would feel the same. Up first is the track Bluebird Wine. It's written by Rodney Crowell. And it's the first, but far from the only, Rodney Crowell song that Emmylou Harris would go on to release. What a way to start a record. Yeah. <laughs> Bluebird Wine always gets me hyped up the speakers getting into this relationship right learning to look at life with a new perspective whereas in the past drinking had kind of been a sad thing now instead of it being a way to cope with troubles this partner this new person that she's seeing has helped her sort her life out and she's able to enjoy bluebird wine for pleasure she i hate you she goes from stressed out little hamster to the what guinness pig she's going from hamster to guinness pig that's hilarious <laughs> uh, she does though she gets under a lot less pressure yeah she's just living life she gets some money saved up learns to relax throws parties just living it up 
I honestly think I did a little Google search to try and figure out more about Bluebird wine. I've heard of like blueberry wine, right? Sure. But Bluebird wine is not. I think the song is more popular than the drink. Really? I couldn't find much about Bluebird wine. I think it's a brand of wine, but it's apparently not one that's around anymore much. Interesting. I know. Bluebird Wine and Spirits in Accord, New York. I don't know. There's only like one link that comes up. The guitar on this one gets me going right away. Just the way that it comes in. It's so, I don't know how to describe it. Energetic, I guess. So fun. And there's some really great fiddle parts that come in. I mean, I'm just a fan. And she sings the heck out of this song too. Talk about a way to put her voice on display as a a lead singer for almost the first time. I mean, she had the whole other album, but this is the first thing she's released since people discovered her with Graham Parsons, right? So this is kind of her introduction to the world, and what an introduction it is. That's just such a catchy hook to it, you know, when she gets into it. And it's all right. Uh Uh-huh. I just hit my stride. Yeah. I know. She really has just hit her stride, and it took no time at all. Big fan of Bluebird Wine. What do you think about Too Far Gone? Too Far Gone. Okay, ballad guy. This one's all yours. This is your wheelhouse. Yep. This one was written by Billy Sherrill, and I'm pretty sure it's one that you really enjoyed. Mm-hmm. It's such a pretty song. It is. I think the strings are really what sell it. The piano is nice, but the strings are what take this to like a another level as a ballad. Yeah, I think the pianos lay the foundation that like lift the strings up. Mm. The strings wouldn't be able to do this by themselves. They need that piano. No, they do. But the piano walks so the strings can run, you know? Yeah. And the other thing I like about this song is its structure. Verse, chorus, verse, chorus. Very standard, easy to follow. That I think complements the first song well. It it works well with this slower, softer style of Too Far Gone. And it presents this idea in an easy way. Simple. After we get amped up with Bluebird Wine, we temper it right back down with Too Far Gone. And that's kind of a thing that this album does well end to end. Is it's a nice ebb and flow between something that picks us up and slows us down and excites us and chills us out. Like that's a... A thing that happens back to back to back to back pretty much the entire time. The chorus is so pretty. The way that the harmonies come in with the too far gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, harmony. Hey, there's something about this era, this older country sound and the, some of the rhythms that they do. that just have such a nostalgic sound to them, even if they're new to you. True. Was this one new to you? I mean, you knew some Emmy Lou Harris big hits. No. Yeah, I was going to say. I'm going to say in general. In general. <laughs> this one felt so nostalgic to me because I've been listening to it since I was young. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, the first time I heard it was on the album, and I love it. It's a song about being in love with someone who loves somebody else. That classic, I guess, kind of love triangle story, but really it's more like a love line because the person that they're in love with isn't in love with you. Anyway, the speaker realizes that she's fallen too far in love with this person and won't be moving on anytime soon because she's too far gone. Yeah. It, like, ramps up on the too far gone. She's like, too far gone. It, like It's like this little hill. Yeah, she's good with dynamics. Yeah. But yeah, again, with the structure of the song, like the first verse lays out the present moment pretty well, the current situation. The chorus reinforces the idea. And then the second verse is really smart because she takes the song into the future. Like if things go south, if this, if that, it gets conditional. And that gives the song a reason to exist because it gives us a reason that she's talking about this, which is really nice. And then the next song kind of goes hand in hand with it. If I could only win your love, it's the same sentiment as Too Far Gone, but it's way more cheery as it explores the positive things that would come about if she fell in love with this guy. It's, again, another really catchy one. You know what I just realized, though? What? This is kind of the same thing as NSYNC. 
I'll be good for you. Like we just talked about this on a recent episode. It's the exact same sentiment. Oh, you're right. But done way better. Way better. Uh, that's depends on who you ask. But if you ask me, I'd say yes. <laughs> and this is another, you know, pick me back up song. The harmonies really sell it. It's nice and cheery, sunshiny. Because if we fell in love, if we could only make that little thing happen, life would be great. It's one of my favorite little songs on this record. And I say little because... At 2 minutes and 35 seconds, and most of it just being that chorus, the song is almost over before it starts. It's so quick and such an effortless listen. Yeah. I will say of the three we've done so far, this one's probably got the least going on complexity-wise. True. I'd agree with that. Which I just wanted to throw that comment out there for later down the road when you're going to want to ask me a question. So I just want to throw that out now. What am I going to want to ask you later? I'm just preparing for the future. Will I know that I'm going to want to ask it to you? Yeah, I think you will. I don't know. We'll find out, I guess. But you're right. It is the least complex song. And I think that works to its credit based on the order of this album because it's a nice little second to lighten the mood before we get into absolutely the heaviest song on the album. Mm-hmm. Boulder to Birmingham, written by Emmylou Harris and Bill Danoff. This is her major writing credit on the record. And again, this is the tribute song to her friend and musical mentor, the late Graham Parsons. And it's actually just one of three songs that she wrote and released herself in her first nine albums so it carries a little extra weight for that too this is really one of her rare at the time forays into songwriting and what a heavy hitter Mm -hmm. it's a tearjerker i want more artists to play with dynamics like this like she's writing a master class in dynamics on this album so far Mm mm-hmm This starts out as one of the quietest songs on the album, but it builds into some of the most memorable, I guess, proclamations in the choruses, especially late in the song. Yep. And that's because there's so much, I mean, genuine emotion behind it. And it builds so gradually, too. Like, it's not like this sudden shift. Mm Mm-hmm. And again, she really likes, you know, add to the recipe book here, the Emmylou Harris recipe, songwriting recipe. Yeah, if you want to make an Emmylou Harris song, it's got to have... Backup singers on the chorus. Mm-hmm. I think there's a way to do that wrong. I've heard albums where backup singers are out of place and abrasive. Yeah. Definitely there's a way to do that right. And I think Emmy Lou Harris really consistently does it right. Mm-hmm. Because that's her background is as a backup singer. So she knows what works and what doesn't and what's going to play and what's not going to play. Because that's a good chunk of her early performing experience. Yeah. Which comes from Graham Parsons. I'm just saying it's part of her recipe. Yeah. I'm not saying it's a bad piece or not. It's good. If she's going to make a deviled egg, this is how she'd pickle it. (laughs) I just love the general, like this song has some of the best lyrics on the album, Uh which is a testament to her as a songwriter. I don't want to hear another love song or sad story. Makes me wish she did more of it. I know. I know. Me too. And she does eventually. Like I said, you could get more out there later, but she's talking about how this is just a way to get out of her head, find a way to find peace from an airplane. You know, she's flying over the land she says the last time i felt like this i was in the wilderness and the canyon was on fire which i think is one of the you know not one of i think this that's maybe the best line on this record which is a claim to stake but i'd certify it poetry at the very least you know she's lost in this emotional figurative wilderness and he helped to bring her up out of it not to mention all the potential literal interpretations of the fire in the canyon with his kind of impromptu cremation yeah it's a very layered lyric and i love it and the heart-wrenching chorus just lays out all these lengths that she'd go to just to see him one last time including the song's namesake trek from boulder colorado to birmingham alabama which is a distance of 1348 miles by car which would take you 18 days to cover on foot according to google maps think about how many limos (laughs) yeah a lot of limos would probably break down on that drive 
The other line I love that has a lot of personal meaning to her, a really significant line for her, is at the beginning of verse 3. She says, you really got me this time, and the hardest part is knowing I'll survive. They were pretty regularly playing pranks on each other, Emmy Lou and Graham Parsons. They'd pull off a joke on the other one, and they'd say, gotcha, and go back and forth like that. And now that he's gone, she's kind of got to handle life on her own, and she's kind of insinuating that this is Parsons' final little gotcha moment. Yeah, that's cute in a, like... Like, sad way. Yeah. It's so sweet, but so... Yeah. Like I said, heart-wrenching. Yeah. It is Emmylou Harris's signature song, the tentpole piece of this album, and it's probably one of the sweetest, most heartfelt, mournful tracks in all of country Americana music. It's It's got to be in the conversation, I think. That's fair. Mm-hmm. It's always songs like that, though. We're talking about going great distances, right? Like another big ballad Americana song that's always talked about, right, is This Land is Your Land, right? This Land is My Land. It's always talking about from like coast to coast, right? Yeah, Woody Guthrie. Mm-hmm. So what is it about like talking about the country from like its opposite end? is so impactful (laughs) i don't know it's that manifest destiny i guess yeah track five track five yeah i know i don't know how to gracefully move out of boulder to birmingham so we're just gonna have to do it rip the band-aid off (laughs) before believing is up next written by danny flowers and it's similarly gentle this is an instance where she chooses not to alternate hard between a slow song and a fast song or a pick me up and a put me down she eases us out of the emotional weight of boulder to birmingham in a pretty good way so that's that's a good choice Mm -hmm. there's no chorus in before believing and really no hook that I can kind of identify, except maybe I told you everything I could about me. Yeah, that's pretty much the hook. Otherwise, there's not much to latch on to. And it's at the end of the verse. Yeah, it's a strange location for something like that. I kind of like it. I do too. It's a nice anchor, a good touchstone to keep coming back to and coming back to and coming back to. And this song is where the album's title comes from. She said, how would you feel if the world was falling apart around you and pieces of the sky were falling in your neighbor's yard? Chicken Little style. Yeah, Chicken Little style. Interestingly, though, the song title Before Believing never shows up in this song. Yeah. Hmm. It doesn't show up directly. The closest you get is in verse three. Solutions that never lay down before you. The answers are all around. Believing is all the friends you need to talk to. And I'm believing in you. Ah. So it's there kind of hidden. But that's what the song is all about. You know, it's about leaning on people in difficult circumstances when solutions aren't clear or maybe even possible. You find someone to believe in you and someone that you can similarly believe in. Interesting. This is a song where I think the bass does a great job at knowing, for lack of a better term, I guess, knowing its place. It lays low, but it still provides a really significant boost to the song. And the violin is similarly solid at the end. It's very clearly there, but never distracting or obtrusive. Very well produced song. And I think the way that it lacks that foothold musically or lyrically makes it a pretty unique track on this album. And honestly, just in general, you you don't walk away with lyrics in mind. You don't walk away humming any song snippets, any tunes, but... You get a really, really strong sense of the emotion behind the song, and that ends up being what sticks with you because that's the only thing that's there to cling on to when the song's done. And that's so cool. I agree. I also think this album does a really good job of putting the songs in the right order. It's very well ordered. Yeah, like, remarkably so. So much so that you listen to it and notice it. But also, like, yeah, you notice it, but it takes you a minute to notice it because it's... So naturally put together. You get to the end of it and go, wow, that felt really good. 
Yeah, you're like, that was solid. Mm-hmm. I agree. And another one that gets me is the next one. Yeah, tonight, the bottle let me down. We finally are, are lightening up a little bit with this one. It's not a... Are we? I don't want to call it a happy song. It definitely is an, a more up-tempo song. Musically, we're lightening up. <laughs> it's musically brighter, yes. And it, it felt like... I'm not sure whether this is where the record splits or not. I think it probably is, given that the original record is 10 tracks, and this is the first of the second five. It just feels like The Bottle Let Me Down should be where we flip the record, because the tonal pivot is so sharp next to Before Believing. True. So when I first listened to this song, I assumed it was like about like an X, right? Yeah. But then I got thinking while we were sitting here talking about the rest of the the five tracks before it, Mm -hmm. and while... It's probably about an X. The position on the album and the fact I was skimming through the lyrics, I didn't see anything that contradicted this ability. But could it also be kind of like she remembered her mentor? Absolutely, it could be. With its position after Boulder to Birmingham. And before believing. Yeah. We're kind of going through the stages of grief a little bit. Yeah. But I, I totally think, I mean, looking through the lyrics, I don't see anything that contradicts that that could be the case. Yeah, it's like on its own, like just listening to this song, you probably be like, oh yeah, it's about like an ex. But it's like you said, kind of like the stages of grief. They're kind of like. Just trying to cope with the loss, yeah. This is a Merle Haggard cover. Merle recorded the original in 1966, and it's exemplary of what people call the Bakersfield sound, which is a style of country music that came around in the 50s. It's really heavy on the backbeat and really rock and roll oriented. So think like plucky electric guitars, honky-tonk music, and it was kind of conceived, this Bakersfield sound, to be a counter to the very smooth Nashville sound coming out of Nashville at the time. So that's like the context where the song comes in. And it's kind of like the antithesis to Bluebird Wine. This drinking is absolutely not for pleasure. She's trying to drink to forget, but the reason the bottle lets her down is because she's remembering this either relationship or this person from her past anyway. Like, drinking to forget is not working. Mm -hmm. And she shows this. There's some really awesome lines in here. The one true friend I thought I'd found is a great line with double meaning. If we're talking about how the bottle let me down, I mean, maybe the bottle's your one true friend. But you're remembering this lover, this friend, this person in your past that was the one true friend. Yeah, it's a great double meaning. Oh, it's awesome. Who's to say what she really meant? Exactly. It's it's really good writing. Mm -hmm. Good one. It is a good one. I would say a less good one is track seven, Sleepless Nights, kind of takes me for a little bit of a roller coaster ride every time. Yeah. This song's written by Felice and Boudlow Bryant, and the chord progression on Sleepless Nights is so unintuitive. This song feels like it whips you around a little bit, probably more than any other song we've talked about, at least on this album. This song is unpredictable. You never know where it's going next. There's dominant sevens, there's minor chords, there's everything's everywhere. You just hop and skip into major chords left and right, and it's so jarring to listen to. It's not relaxing, you know, which I guess is kind of a a hallmark of the sleepless night. You're tossing, you're turning, you're restless, and, and maybe anxious. Like, that's kind of how it feels to listen to. It's another song that doesn't really have a chorus, but compared to Before Believing, it does have much more of a hook. Yeah. And the thing about this, maybe this is where I'm supposed to ask you a question, but I, I know you've complained about the past in this stuff. For me, just because of the shock of the chords, what happened to me this time is it really helped that the verses and the choruses, like everything was verbatim repeated a second time. The first time through, it's chaotic, it's hectic, I'm, I'm lost. But because she uses these same lyrics 
and I know what's coming in that regard, and because we've heard the music before, it feels much easier to follow when we repeat it. Yeah. That direct repetition feels totally necessary for the listener in this case. To me, the the verse that's repeated is more like the chorus of this song. I know it's technically a verse, but it feels more like it's the chorus. Yeah, it does. And so I'm okay with it. Okay, that's good. Is that what I was supposed to ask you? No, it's not. It has nothing to do with the complexity. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's what I was about. I also just want to let you know I'm formulating something in my head right now, and I'll bring it up later, potentially. Well, what if you don't? Then you just told me you're formulating and nothing will come of it. Well, just remind me when we get to the final spin section. Okay, hold on. Let me make some notes. (laughs) Sleepless Nights is a wild time. But then we get into another song that always catches me off guard. I always like this one more than I expect to, and that's Coat of Many Colors. Yeah. It's a cover. This is another time, I think, that we're mentioning an artist for the first time that feels weird that it's happening on episode 97. Dolly Parton wrote and recorded this song. Wow. Mm-hmm. She wrote it in 1969 while she was out on tour with Porter Wagner. She actually had this idea in a flash, in a heat of the moment, kind of instant. So she used the back of a receipt to write the song. She just jotted it down as quickly as she could. Porter Wagner had it framed. It's another one without a chorus. It is. This is a very chorus-light album, but it you can't say this one doesn't have a hook. No, it has a hook. The Coat of Many Colors hooks hard and hooks deep. I just love in verse 2, the setup. It starts with, there were rags of many colors, and that paralleled with the end of the verse, which she made my coat of many colors. Yes. It's so good. Because she could have just described the rags. She didn't have to say there were rags of many colors. She could have just been like, we were given rags, and they made a coat, and they were colorful. Right. Yeah, the song's all about how the speaker grows up in poverty without enough money for a new coat in the winter. So her mother does take those rags of many colors, turns them into a patchwork coat of many colors. Yep. But the whole song is this reference to a Bible story. Yep. About Joseph, a guy who gets a beautiful coat, famously of many colors, from his dad, makes his brothers jealous. So as her mom gives her this coat, she tells her this Bible story, and it makes the girl excited to wear the coat because she's too young to really grasp the situation. Uh, to understand. Yeah. And she can't understand the circumstances why her mom makes it for her. So it's comforting. Classic example of shielding a child from a harsh reality with some sort of story or game that makes them happy or excited mm-hmm. about whatever's happening. Yeah. There's a classic example for like when, you know, somebody, a family's poor and can barely afford to eat and they like make a treat out of this really weird sandwich that's like poverty food right i forget what it is it's a it's a really powerful example where it's like it's it's like one piece of bread with like something gross on it (laughs) but they like make it into this like special treat and so all growing up this person was like yeah there's like always like a treat object and then they got older like wait a second mayonnaise and pumpernickel is (laughs) not good Oh, no. Do you want to tell him or should I? Maybe we should just leave him be. Maybe we just leave him be. He's he's happy. He had a big win today. <laughs> we never take him back down a peg. It's his big day. Yeah. But it's comforting to her, right, to have this coat framed in a more familiar, optimistic context. And so even though other kids maybe know what's going on and make fun of her or laugh at her, she holds her head high because she feels so differently and so special about this coat. And she says it right in the lyrics. Although we had no money, I was rich as I could be in my coat of many colors that my mama made for me because she was loved and cared for to such a degree and she was able to be happy and content in spite of the situation. What a sweet song. I just really like it. It's touching. Yeah. We think of For No One. Yeah, For No One is up next 
Is this a song you knew before? I'm not sure. It's definitely a song I knew before because this is a Beatles cover by John Lennon and Paul McCartney. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's from the Beatles' huh. 1966 record Revolver, and it's a really interesting song from the second-person perspective. The speaker's kind of talking to themselves, but, like, out of body. Or they're talking, I guess, to a friend. The day breaks, your mind aches. You find that all her words of kindness linger on. I love the song. It's hard for me to judge it compared to the original that I obviously, I mean, I'd known for years prior to listening to this one. Sure. But I think I also can appreciate this cover for all the the ways it's different. Yeah, because I'm sure the Beatles version wasn't country. Oh, no. It is so (laughs) different. And at the time this was put onto the album, this was a choice people didn't understand. Why'd she put this on the album? It doesn't fit the rest of the album. Really? What? To listen to the original song, it doesn't. She does a great job, I think, of, of putting forth a faithful adaptation that is kind of converted into her style to make it fit on this album and feel really seamless. And I think that just speaks to the original song's versatility, but also Mm -hmm. to her ability as a recording artist and as a creative mind that she can shape it into what she needs it to be. Fair enough. Yep. Did you like it? That's the other question. Yeah, I liked it. Good. You better. It's a Beatles song. Uh Oh. Up next is the last song on the canonical album. Track 10 is Queen of the Silver Dollar. Yeah. There's more that we're talking about just because I've referenced it before and I want to talk about it. But Queen of the Silver Dollar is the last song on the record proper. Fair enough. Do you know who wrote Queen of the Silver Dollar? Probably someone famous. Someone famous. Somebody that you know and are familiar with the work of. Do you have a guess at who wrote Queen of the Silver Dollar? Um, no. Okay. The correct answer is Shel Silverstein. Oh. Yeah, the guy you probably know better as a poet and the author of books like Where the Sidewalk Ends and The Giving Tree. What you might not have known, and what I didn't know until I came across him in the realm of country music, is that he's also a songwriter with some pretty significant songwriting credits under his belt. Here are some of his other popular songs that you may know. Put Another Log on the Fire by Tom Paul Glazer. Mm-hmm. Hey Loretta by Loretta Lynn. Oh yeah. The Taker, which he co-wrote with Chris Christopherson, and it was recorded by Waylon Jennings. Nice. A song I know you know, 25 Minutes to Go. Yeah. We talked about that on our episode about Folsom Prison. And he also wrote A Boy Named Sue, both recorded by Johnny Cash. And he was also super popular on Dr. Demento's radio show. Really? Uh Uh-huh. So, yeah, Shel Silverstein is the mind behind the Queen of the Silver Dollar. Huh. I know. That scary-looking dude with the big beard on the back of all the books. He wrote this. (laughs) The song is a comparison of this woman's life in a smoky, small-town honky-tonk. And it's a comparison to how she's treated like a queen there, how she rules the place. So we get a lot of comparisons. Mm -hmm. Her chariot is the crosstown bus. Her scepter is a wine glass. A bar stool is her throne. And she's being petitioned by all the jesters, all these clowns, these losers that are in the bar, thinking they're good enough to take her home. Yeah. It's a nice metaphor. I really, I really enjoy it. One thing to point out about Queen of the Silver Dollar, it's a very sing-songy song. But one thing that's interesting, I don't know how I feel about it, is the perspective shift. We start out with, she's the queen in the first three verses, but the last choruses shift to, I'm the queen of the silver dollar. Oh! 
I yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. I didn't catch that. Yeah, it's a cleverly disguised little shift. And I think it's really interesting after we just had that cool second person point of view on For No One. Yeah. It's a, a little revelation, a little moment to flourish the... And it's also kind of like coming into the role. like Own it. It's almost like accepting. Yeah. Like, yeah, like owning it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the last song we're going to talk about is Hank and Lefty, written by Dallas Frazier and Doodle Owens. I don't think Doodle is his real name. (laughs) Check the birth certificate. Yeah. It's technically not on the album. It came out as a bonus track in later years, but... The reason I wanted to include it is because of its ties to things we've mentioned before. Sure. We've talked about Hank Williams, obviously, episode 12, one of our most popular episodes of all time. Mm-hmm. And we've also mentioned a couple times now his musical rival, Lefty Frizzell. Yep. I even mentioned this song by name in the Hank Williams episode, so I figured it's only fair that we come and talk about it while we're in the neighborhood. Fair enough. Be rude not to. I know, right? But basically, she talks about the nostalgia that she feels for their music and makes references to all their songs like, Why Don't You Love Me Like You Used To Do? She repeatedly says, Hank and Lefty raised my country's soul. It's a nice little tribute song. It's like on Eric Church, record year. Record year. How it references all the popular records. Yeah, it is kind of like that, but for way older country artists. Yeah. Like founding fathers of country music. We've done a lot of country here lately. We really kind of hit a slump where we were ignoring country. I know. But we've made it up. Well, I wanted to make good, yeah. And they're all kind of, they've been different, you got to admit. Yeah, they have. Eric Church kind of has the new wave outlaw country. Miranda Lambert's kind of taken the, well, Ray Stevens, you did with the comedy country-ish. Yeah. Miranda Lambert had a bit more of that pop country edge, a little bit. Yep. And now Amy Lou Harris kind of gets this folk angle, Americana style. So it's nice. They all get a different little niche. Yeah, different little flavor. Yeah. And with that, I suppose it's time to get into Final Spin. So first, I have a question for you. Okay. What am I supposed to ask you? <laughs> You'll find out, well, maybe. But we're here, right? Isn't this the time? Well, I can do one of my things real fast, the thing that I've been workshopping. Oh, yeah. Is this the thing you were formulating? Yeah. Because I also made a note about that, so I didn't forget. I think Hank and Lefty bonus song excluded oh you're gonna make this he's gonna do it there's an argument to be made he's gonna do it there's an argument to be made the king of concept albums (laughs) he's returning the king of concept albums has returned to make what i think is his strongest case for a concept album. Yeah, okay, let's hear it. So if you ignore some of the real-life context behind things like Boulder to Birmingham, right, and just look at it from a song standpoint, uh-huh. I think they all fit really nice. I agree. And it, in a way that it really stuck up on me until we were really talking about them. You hit the first song, Bluebird Wine, you know, she's partying, Baby Taught Me a Different Way of Thinking, remember that line? Love it. We're bringing that back up in a moment. Putting a pin in it. Put a pin in that. Too Far Gone, you know, she's like falling in love with this idiot. <laughs> realizes she's too far gone does he have to be an idiot sure okay well he's about to he's be an idiot here soon and then she's like if only i could win your love back and then boulder to birmingham right i don't want to hear a love song yada 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 have they broken up uh i don't want to hear any sad stories exactly they've broken up we know it's about somebody who died in real life right yeah but in with the context of the song it could just be i don't want to see your face so he's broken her heart in some way broken up rejected or something right mm-hmm. into before believing you know it says i told you everything i could about me like she's like i gave you everything and you hurt me right okay and then the bottle let her down she tried to drink away her troubles and it didn't work she kept thinking about him yeah and had some sleepless nights because of it and had some sleepless nights because of it now where are we going with code of many 
many colors. There's always one, right? There's that's always, a bit rough. There's always one. There's always one. Yeah. Usually there's more than one, but there's, there's always, always at one. Least one. Sometimes seven or eight. With this one, I'm going under the I'm going down the nostalgia route of what being sad and sentimental and a little drunk uh, will do to you. And thinking back onto her past of when she wasn't brought into the world, right? Brought into his world. Going back to like a, a happier time. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Going back to that bluebird wine line of, uh, you know, he you brought me, uh, or whatever, whatever that line was. I already forgot it. You put the pen in it. What was it? <laughs> put the pen in it, baby. Tell me a different way of thinking. <laughs> yeah, tell me a different way of thinking. Yeah, you know, taking it back to a simpler time, yeah. right? Okay, but consider this. Consider this. Taking it back to a simpler time and working on remembering how she's persevered and and found happiness in hard times oh yeah there you go there you go i like that because the tears that she cries are for no one yeah exactly right because then that's now her getting over him officially because of remembering you know the trouble she's gone through in the past in that happier simpler time and the bottle stops letting her down and enables her to become the queen of the silver dollar well and just in general there's the line in the queen of the silver dollar that also goes back to him you know she says right here in verse three she was once an ordinary girl with ordinary dreams but there's a man who found her and he brought her to to his world, to this world, right? And she's like taking it over, right? Oh. She's like, yeah, I got here because I fell in love with you and went through all this with you, but... Because he taught her a different way of thinking. I, exactly! Exactly! You know what? This is your strongest case yet. Good job. This is my strongest case yet! And it all came together as we were just talking about it. I was like, wait a second. This works. There's a sneaky little concept album here. I like that a lot. Thank you. I like it a lot. I do think it loses a little bit of its gut punchiness when you take away sure. the personal meaning to her and the Grand Parsons bit, but... Specifically the Boulder to Birmingham. Yeah, that song loses some of its punch. That's rough before believing. That stretch in the middle does yeah. get a little weaker, but on the whole... On the whole, it's stronger than anything else I've brought. Yeah. It's clearly a very intentional album, and I think that makes it a very strong album. Yeah. So now, tell me your score. Scores. I'm curious. Yeah. This is a good album. I really enjoy this one. Like you said, or maybe I said. Well, if I said it, I definitely think it. <laughs> but if I said it, you agree. Yeah, right. I concur. All right. When we get to the end of the album, you just feel like it was a good experience. Like you just really. It was solid. Yeah, it's a solid album when you get to the end. And that's great. I really enjoy a lot about this. Musically, I'm giving it an 84. A lot of these songs are very sing-alongable. Melodies are awesome. The harmonies, when she chooses to use the harmonies, they're always very effective. So that's exciting and really great. Some of the songs, again, Sleepless Nights is just yanks me around a little too much, and that kind of hurts the music score. But on the whole, very interesting and, and good at what it does with the lack of choruses and stuff. Lyrically, give it an 82. I think maybe that's a little bit on the low side. Okay, yeah, that's probably a little low. It's a little low. I think part of that is affected by the fact that she didn't write 90% of these. That's fair. No bonus point either. No bonus point either, so that is a little bit tougher. Instruments of production, it's a good sounding album. You talked about masterclass and dynamics. They really know when to emphasize an instrument and when to ease it off, like the violin and the bass and the strings. We've talked about a couple different really stellar moments for the instruments. 84 there. Overall vibe, it's a solid 87 from me. Solid 87. End to end, it's emotional, it's enjoyable, it's... It's different than most other country albums you'd find, I think. And that just really kind of puts it a cut above, makes it special. I enjoy it. So that puts it at a total score of 84.0. Okay. And lands it at number 297 on the ranking sheet. It is very close 
on my rankings to Alanis Morissette's Jagged Little Pill, which has an 84.1 and lands just above it at 296. And the Red Hot Chili Peppers Californication, which has an 84.0, just like Pieces of the Sky, but its overall average is lower. So it ends at number 301. It's also very close to Cheap Thrills by Janis Joplin, which is 303 with an 83.9. So this is in the wheelhouse of a lot of other things that we've done an episode on. Yeah, it is. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I think Janis Joplin got the edge because of that bonus point, obviously. But also, yeah, I think her lyrics were, on the whole, like pretty solid. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's where I land. Number 297, 84 out of 100 for me. How about you? For me, my classic Connor Top 3. Classic. In album order. Bluebird Wine. Gotta be there. I was hoping you'd say that. Mm-hmm. Too Far Gone. I knew you'd say that. Whether I was hoping it or not, <laughs> I can't say, but I knew you would. Connorable mention going to If I Could Only Win Your Love. Mm-hmm. Cute question. Oh, this is where the question comes? Mm-hmm. Are you gonna take Boulder to Birmingham? No, no, no. Because the question was, I said I wanted to tell you that the lyrical complexity of the third track was weaker than the other two. Yeah. Why did you take it if the- That's why I got Conorable Mention, even though it was a more popular song than Too Far Gone, because I liked Too Far oh. Gone's lyrical- No, I'm not surprised at all. Okay. I just thought maybe you would have been surprised that if I could only win your love didn't make regular top three and got the Conorable Mention. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to give you the reasoning up front. Right. And so you planted that question that I wasn't even going to yep. have the opportunity to ask until <laughs> way back here. <laughs> uh-huh. All the way up on track three. Uh-huh. I told you, I really wanted to let you know. I wanted to give you plenty of forewarning. Buried the lead on that one. Yeah. That's the, the exciting conclusion for all you out there that have been wondering for, <laughs> oh, 28 minutes now. Yeah. And yeah, my last Connor Top 3, Boulder to Birmingham. So four. So I took the first four, which sounds like I don't like the bottom half of the of the album, but that's not the case. It just starts so strong. It just starts so strong. I don't know. It's it's not like there's a dip. Like in the past, I've taken stuff at the beginning and been like, yeah, the second half can be left on the chopping block, you know? Yes. I also have to point out, I mean, we've had some rare things today with your best revival of the concept album building and the mixtapers first shutout since the <laughs> very first time he did it in episode 14 you went through a phase in roughly the 60s <laughs> where you just started taking extra songs and taking extra songs and like in your top three you really expanded in the 60s listen i'm a different man now you know my birthday is come and gone forgotten no <laughs> uh left to the wayside you've aged you're wiser <laughs> i'm wiser i'm a wiser man than i was back in the 60s mm-hmm. and so you know i'm not as careless with my extra picks yeah well, the last time you took an extra pick was episode 85, so it's been more than 10 episodes. Yeah. More than a dozen. Well, not more than a, the same amount as a dozen. And this is just one of those albums that if I opened myself up to taking more, I would have been like screwed for the next three months. The floodgates. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how I would have stopped myself. So I uh, I just left it at normal. Fair. That's a good review. As a wise, older, seasoned man would. Okay. Sure. <laughs> those 30 episodes have changed you, man. <laughs> And so, yeah, my score for this one is getting nine. Whoa, it's a nine. Stressed out rodents out of ten. <laughs> but they're stressed out to varying degrees. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Some are under less pressure. <laughs> exactly. Not all nine of them are at the same stress level. Yeah. So you really... I liked it. You liked it. That's good. You're giving a lot of nines lately. I know. I'm going. I'm getting soft in my old age. <laughs> You're a wiser man. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> as a seasoned wiser man, but also kinder. Yeah, no, but you're not giving too many. Emmy Lou Harris gets this nine. Duke Ellington got his nine. Our singles episode, you gave an honorary nine. But then, really, it was just back in the '80s you went on a run. But you're just bringing a lot of good stuff lately. It's really your fault. Thank you. My fault. Yeah, I'm. I'm just saying, if you don't like them out of nines, pick worse albums. No, I'm not giving it anything. I'm just letting you. I'm putting it where it rightfully belongs. I'm slapping that label on it. You know, it was already a nine. Yeah. Whether we did the episode or not. True. I'm simply just labeling what it, I'm. I'm spitting out the facts as they come to me. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's interesting to me. This one especially, I'm curious where it ranks for you because for for me, I love this album. It fell below Alanis Morissette and Mm -hmm. above Red Hot Chili Peppers. Well, that's because you were a lyric snob. Alanis Morissette got a seven for you and Red Hot Chili Peppers got a lower seven for you. So if you were matching me, this album would end up in your sevens. Yeah. Luckily, you're not. Where in your nines is this one going? She's going around some friends of hers. Oh. And by that, I just mean other older country artists. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. Well, that leads me to believe it's around Willie Nelson and Johnny Cash. Sure is. It's going... Right below Johnny Cash. I see. Well, you know what Willie Nelson once said? There are two kinds of men in this world. Those who like Emmy Lou Harris more than Johnny Cash and those who don't. That's not the quote. You know. And more, I said it's not the quote at all. No, it wasn't even. <laughs> it was supposed to be a joke on the quote, but I didn't even make the joke right. Eh. So below Johnny Cash puts her above. Man, I just. The, the way that this show compares things that were never meant to be compared <laughs> gets me every time. That puts it right above Montero by Lil Nas X. Yeah. And so nine booty calling devils is worth less. Yeah, worth less than nine stressed out rodents. Yep. Do you have any songs in mind for the playlist? Yeah, I got four of them in mind. Well, that <laughs> it's not going to work. <laughs> Boulder to Birmingham has to be there, right? It is objectively the best song on this album in a lot of ways. It's got to be there. It's got to be there. If I were picking a second song, I'd take Bluebird Wine. Really? It just gets me going. It's the one. She just hit her stride, and it's all right. I'm okay with that, I guess. Yeah, right off the bat, we're drunk on Bluebird Wine. I guess I'm okay with that. I would personally stake my vote on Too Far Gone, but considering Boulder to Birmingham is already a ballad, I'm okay with picking a non-ballad for the other one. Yeah, and it's not like this album has necessarily an abundance of non-balladish songs to choose from. I just really like Too Far Gone. We know. It's been acknowledged. It's on the record. <laughs> All right. Just let the record show. This uh, this seasoned old man, he likes Too Far Gone. He likes Too Far Gone, but he's not Too Far Gone yet. Not yet. Not pulling my last practical joke on you. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> I sure hope not. <laughs> Look, I can't have forgotten your last birthday. <laughs> that be- How bad would you feel? How bad would you feel? If you died? <laughs> I mean, yeah. If you died and you forgot my last birthday. <laughs> It'd be a real shame. Yeah. You're going to have to make up missing my birthday uh, in the year of healing. I will. But that's for another week. That brings us to the end already. Yes, it does. Well, another fun, awesome episode. Another piece of the podcast. I don't know. Has fallen from the sky. Into place. Onto whatever place you're listening to your podcast on. Yeah, yeah. And before believing, we should let you know that we are on all the social platforms. Go follow us. Check us out. If you're interested in more Spin It content, we're at Spin It Pod on Twitter, at Spin It Pod Official on Instagram, and probably most importantly, on our website, www.spinitpod.com. And wherever you listen to podcasts, we're also there. A lot of cool stuff on the website. I 
highly recommend checking it out. Got some bonus content. And a lot of cool stuff coming. Episode 100 is closer than it's ever been. I Like, we're talking less than a month. Yeah, I mean, that's true every, every week. It is until we pass it. Be sure to give us a little five stars and share the podcast with uh, your favorite Shel Silverstein fan. Yeah. Let them know that he's mentioned in this episode. Don't tell them where, though, so they have to listen all the way till track 10. And don't tell them how many times, so they have to listen to the whole thing in case he comes up again. Like he just did. Yeah, they'll pretty much have to listen the whole time <laughs> if they want him anyway, because we just put him right here at the end. Yeah. Right before we say, keep, keep spinning. spinning. Are squirrels rodents? Yeah. How stressed out do you think our math department is? Well, we try not to put them under a lot of pressure, right? They only have to, like, once a week do our album rankings. I don't know. If, if I was a squirrel doing math, you'd be pretty stressed out. I'm a human doing math, and I'm pretty stressed out. <laughs> yeah. Are gophers rodents? 